Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm joined, as always, by Sirit Sohi. What's up, Sirit? How's it going, Chris? We are the patron saint podcast of the mediocre, (laughs) because we are here today to talk about the Gang of 500, which is my affectionate term for all of these teams in the NBA right now that seem bunched together within two games of 500. And there's tons of reasons for why that's happening to each specific team. You know, we've obviously been seeing like a ton of COVID uh, outbreaks in the league this week that have derailed uh, practices and games and people are out. And then you've got some teams that are underachieving and some teams that are overachieving and they have the same record. And that's why we wanted to talk about these teams today. Sierra's going to talk a little bit about the West. I'm going to talk a little bit about the East. But all these teams that are kind of mired around 11 and 13 or 12 and 12 or, you know, 14 and 13. And it seems like one step forward, two steps back. But then when you break it down a little bit more, you can see some some streaks, some trends, some interesting tidbits of information. We wanted to kind of unpack this group and see who we think is kind of, this is who they are, this isn't who they are, or this is who they should be happy to be. Sarah, what's going on with you today? Are you excited to talk about um, average teams? I'm I'm hyped for this. Uh, I can tell you're on one today. And you also, you uh, you volunteered to take the side that has two more teams and looked like it would have two more teams on it. So I'm going to let you start. Okay. So we can um, potentially sandwich things, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, look, I mean, there's currently one, two, three, four, five, six teams uh, in the East that I'm sort of uh, counting here. And the funny thing about this gang of 500, it's the Cavs, the Sixers, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Celtics, and the Knicks. A couple of teams there, Sixers, Celtics, Hawks, I think had pretty, and Knicks had pretty high aspirations for this season going into it. I guess the Sixers... That's a relative term. But, you know, I think after the Hawks got to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Knicks at least made the playoffs and the Celtics are always going to have Celtics exception, exceptionalism, where there were some, some high expectations here. And then when you get into sort of what's happening with each one of these teams, you know, the Hawks, I think, had some stuttering coming out of the gate this season. 
and then have now kind of found their form a little bit and gone seven and three in their last 10. So I feel like, I don't know if you've gotten to see any Hawks this week, but like, it feels like Trey is kind of, it's it, Trey is finding that gear that he had towards the end of last season and into the playoffs where he's conducting the orchestra and he's seeing the chessboard. Have you gotten to watch any Hawks recently? I haven't seen them a lot recently. I wrote a feature about them a little bit, um, a, a little bit ago, probably about a yeah, month ago when they were really struggling. Um, and it looks like they're playing a lot better since then. Uh, at the time, it really just looked like there were probably too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, you know, the shot distribution, the minutes rotation and everything was just, it was, they were trying to do a strength in numbers thing. But I think like when you have a guy like Trey, it's almost, it's inevitable that he's going to take up a lot of usage. Um, and yeah, honestly, like I, I gotta be real. I haven't watched him a lot lately. So if you want to fill us in on, on if anything's changed, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch like teams led by scoring guards and those scoring guards t- sort of juggling the responsibility of getting everybody involved versus not necessarily getting theirs because they think that there's probably a way to look at Trey or look at some, some of these younger guards out there and be like, oh, is this guy understand like the true responsibility of being a point guard but you know you can you can see trey understand the gravity he commands which is i know is something that you've talked about and written about and while he leads the team in scoring for most of the last 10 games you know 30 31 31 33 33 i feel like he's also getting other guys involved now some of this stuff that we're going to be talking about is i've been noticing this more this season is it feels like um Teams are getting essentially uh, gimme winning streaks if they can take advantage of them. You're seeing a lot of like teams that get to do the Oklahoma, Minnesota, San Antonio run of you can rack up some wins here if you're if you can take advantage of the, these teams that are rebuilding or these teams that are maybe a little bit under undermanned. And Atlanta's doing that. And so while they're still they're still really you know, they're having a pretty mediocre season at 13 and 12. They're third in their division. I still feel like they're kind of climbing out of it a little bit. And they beat Minnesota. They beat the Pacers. They beat the Grizz and the and the Spurs. They've lost a couple in there. But, you know, they're about to start playing. They got Brooklyn. And then they have a red-hot Houston team. Um, so it may it may wind up that it takes a while for everything to even out here. But with with Atlanta, I think this is... Closer to where they want to be, it's not... I, I just think that they had some disappointment in the beginning part of the season. They also had one of the league's hardest schedules to start the season, and they were on the road a ton as well. So I think it was going to be like pretty tough sledding going in anyways. And like just with their defensive effort, it was... You know, it just made things a little bit worse. Uh, they're just... You know, I think they're just kind of young, and they'll figure it out. Like, one thing I, I really noticed with, um, you know, making just evaluations on these teams is like like 500 is really all about what's going on with your team. Like there are so many different ways to, to kind of look at like, you know, how things are going to break in the future. Um, and there's like a depressing way to be 500, which, you know, there's a couple of those in the West that we'll talk about. And then there's, there's some ways that is, that are actually pretty exciting. Um, like, you know, Trey having to, to man all that responsibility is like, you know, it's, that's always going to be tough for him. And like, you know, just the fact that, they are doing this at this age is still always going to be a plus. Like we kind of know what they can do in the playoffs. Like they're almost like they're a team that needs to, I don't want to say they need to get through the regular season um, just to like, you know, get to, um, 
just to make it to the playoffs because they're too young to be like a flip the switch type of team. Uh, but the fact that they've been there before is always just going to give them a little bit of an extra edge. Yeah. Um, and it's going to make me give them the benefit of the doubt at the end of the day. Well, the other thing there too is like what you're talking about is it almost seems like they've they've got the the playoff wild card with Trey because he is exactly what you want in a playoff game of somebody who can get his own shot and create for other people. Um, they're currently eighth in the Eastern Conference. Um, let's talk about the team that's right about right ahead of them. And I think we were going to probably spend a little bit more time on this squad next week, so I won't belabor the point, but it's the Philadelphia 76ers who, against my better judgment, I've watched twice this week uh, in their entirety, a game against the Hornets and a game last night on a Thursday night against the Jazz. Um, to say this is tough sledding is like to say getting thrown down a mountain in a trash bag is tough sledding. Uh, I am having a little bit of a personal crisis right now where fandom and the absence of entertainment are colliding like two rams in a meadow, you know? And I really don't know what to do. I almost need a little bit of therapy right here. It's like, when is it okay to say, this just isn't, this isn't fun? Even when they win, even when they come back to beat the Hornets without LaMelo, it's just really not fun. They have a really stagnant, slow offense with the exception of Maxi. It falls apart when Embiid's not on the court. When Embiid is on the court, I feel like he is constantly like, the big guy is holding his hip, but he's going to gut it out here when they're down 16 in December. Oh my God, that makes me so nervous still every time. And I just don't understand what, like, what's the logic here? Is this like an Embiid thing? Is it just a team wanting to continue to... You know, I know that they fell apart without him. Is it that? I don't know. I don't know why. Does the Ben situation play into it? Like, they feel like they got to win? Like, well, I mean, I think they want to stay attached to the earth. You know, like, I think that if they're going to go and try and trade for somebody who they think they can get for Simmons, if they're waiting for one of these top 30 players to somehow magically become available in a Simmons trade. Mm hmm. I think they want to have it so that this not they don't have to reconstruct their season on the fly. The the funny thing is is that it, there's this paradox where Daryl Morey, by all accounts, is waiting for the golden ticket to come along for Simmons, but to to stay sort of competitive, he's pl they're playing Embiid so much at coming out of COVID, they're playing Embiid as if it's a playoffs. They're in the playoffs now. And Embiid might not like actually like make it through this season at this pace. I don't know. It, it, it almost seems like by not making a deal to bring reinforcements, and I'm starting to feel like Embiid's turning up the pressure a little bit in his press conferences. He made a comment the other day about having $400 million worth of contracts on the bench. And, you know, he just seemed pretty miserable after getting beat at home by the Jazz. And, you know, he had a great game, but... It was still like a frustrating experience. He got teed up at the end after like getting fouled by Gobert or thinking he got fouled by Gobert. He doesn't want to lose to him. No, he does not. He does not. And I, I just think the thing that you see when you watch the Sixers is there's the clear number one guy where there's Embiid. And then there's a bunch of guys who, are, who should be three to seven options. Three to six options. And they've all had to move up a slot. And it's actually pretty weird. You know, it's like you can see why teams have hierarchies and why certain guys are like, my job is to be a, a, an able shooter when I get found open by Ben Simmons when he drives into the lane and kicks it out or by, by Joel Embiid when he has a double and he kicks it out. And Seth can only do so much. Seth Curry can only do so much. The big, big, big issue for me is Tobias Harris, who 
I know I'm not going to be too critical about him because I know he's coming off of COVID and doesn't quite look like himself yet. But the type of game that he wants to play is deliberate. It's like taking a second with the ball. It's taking two seconds with the ball. It's taking eight seconds with the ball. And sort of picking his angle and picking his spot and deciding where he's going to go. And it, and it's it's not really working. He is not a number two guy. Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting to me that you're actually that you're this this down on them because I think like one way to read the situation is to say, you know, with Ben gone, they're starting to play in a style that's a little bit more Joel esque, and when Joel's been able to play, it's looked really really good. Now I I understand that like you know stylistically you've always been on the Simmons side of things, right? Like I probably am too. It isn't necessarily fun, especially when you're hoping to like become an actual contender to watch like a whole bunch of guys that aren't number twos try to take turns and, and figure out if, you know, if they can be the guy that day. Like sometimes that limbo is cool if you're like a young rebuilding team and it's going to be like a surprise. Um, with Philly, it's like, the, you know, the surprises just aren't really fun anymore. And I, and, and, and I get that. But at the same time, like I was thinking about them yesterday and it's like you have now like this situation in Portland that's blowing up. And yeah. you have zero incentive to make any move now for at least until we see what that's going to look like. Um, you know, how how much more patience Dame has. Like, we really just don't know. He seems like he's continues to be committed. But, um, you know, and, and CJ is now, you know, he he's he's out with, uh, you know, an issue with his lung that, you know, you hope gets gets resolved quickly. But um so, but, you know, essentially I feel weird saying this after CJ, you know, came out in the athletic and, you know, talked about how difficult it is to be in trade, in trade rumors, but as a result of his lung issue, um, he's not probably going to get traded anytime soon, um, which it's, I don't know, it seems like we might get a pause in the whole Ben Simmons situation. Yeah, we, we're of, down yeah. to like now, you know, there was I, there was something yesterday where it was just like Ben Simmons would love to be coached by Greg Popovich. And I spent about 15, <laughs> 20 minutes trying to find something that would like make the the sort of the, the death leave my eyes when I'm looking at the Spurs roster and trying to imagine like what combo of three guys and draft picks would be interesting. And I couldn't what really find What was the best thing it. you came up with? I mean, the Tim Duncan, can we get him? Like, I don't know, like literally Tim Duncan now, can he come play for the Sixers? Like just five minutes a night, you know? Yo, just give, give Joel some rest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, to move on through the Eastern Conference here, because I think you can group, I want to take, take two teams that I think are actually in this interesting zone of, of, of expectations, because you have the Cavs who are 14 and 12, and you have uh, the, we can do three teams here. It's like the Cavs are fourteen and twelve, the Hornets are fourteen and thirteen, and the Celtics and the Knicks are thirteen and thirteen and twelve and thirteen. So the Cavaliers are are like pinch us, like we can't believe it. Not only did we get through this, not only lost Sexton to the for the year, not only does it look like even if Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green are quite good, we have the player of the draft in Mobley, perhaps a play, a generational player. I still. Anytime I'm home and free, we'll watch the Cavs every night that they're on to watch Evan Mobley play defense. And I know I'm not, I don't mean that in the like, I'm just a gym rat who loves it. <laughs> this is actually watching him play it's defense is like watching, like watching Clay Thompson shoot for me. It's like, it's such an amazing 
execution of a specific skill set. And they must be thrilled. They've gotten through really tough stretches of their schedule already. They've made, I think, I feel like they've made every right choice roster building wise. They're still doing the three big guys thing, which is odd, but then they come and change. They can really change up the sort of makeup of the of the personnel on the floor by playing Rubio and playing Love. I, I this is like my favorite team to watch right now. I I don't know what's wrong with me though. I love the three bigs. I love it. Um, I think it's just like I th- I, I think we're like we're just big fans of teams doing weird shit. Um, and like this is this is probably my favorite iteration of it this season. Yeah. I'm totally with you, and it is just like. It's exactly like it is the platonic ideal, actually. Like the Cavs might be the team on this list, like including the West teams that I have. I, I have the the Clippers, Lakers, Grizzlies, and Mavericks. Um, all teams with higher expectations than the Cavs. Uh, for the Cavs to be like the most like you know, experimentally interesting team. And like, you know, Mobley, I think is kind of like what we were hoping Bull 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 would be, (laughs) uh, what I was hoping Bull Bull would be. So it's just, I don't know. It's awesome because it's like, I think like when you watch a lot of basketball, um, for me, honestly, like just, you look at the same patterns over and over again and you can start to get a little bit bored. Um, Mobley, like literally just sticks out within that right Mm -hmm. like he does things that you just don't really expect to happen and it kind of like shakes you like it can kind of like watching the Cavs and kind of shake me out of a little bit of a stupor like just some of the unexpected blocks um and just like you know when the stride is like oh wait no his foot shouldn't gone all the way over there yeah it's 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 just like it's really entertaining it's like it's fun for the brain yeah it's it's basically like watching a great guard play offense is like watching Mobley play defense like when you're watching Chris Paul or Steph Curry and you're like Mm -hmm. oh man he's just in the exact right place to get this pass isn't he or he's gonna make this little curl and he's gonna be right there or he knows exactly like where the big man wants this pass like that's how I feel about watching Mobley defend where there's there's not actually he's not like an effort merchant where he's like I gotta get from one side of the floor to the others like and just like really grind it out it's like no he takes like two steps and this guy has no angle to the hoop you know, and it, and it and he just goes vertical, and the guy can't. They, there's no daylight. It's it's just amazing to watch. So like the Cavs are in dreamland. I think the Hornets probably pretty happy with what they've got. They're also a really really exciting team. There was something the other night about like um, their overs, like their fan, like their their score overs uh, in any single game, and that they were on like. 90s Denver Nugget pace or something to, in terms of how many games they've played that are over two, 250. Um, so they're, they didn't get the memo about it being harder to score this year. They're playing without LaMelo right now, but um, are a super enjoyable team to watch just to get to get to see um, Bridges kind of take the leap this year. Hayward's been playing well. Um, Book Knight is good for a highlight. It's just, mm-hmm. it's been really cool to to see them do to kind of capitalize on 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 the Lamelo pick, but then you've got these other teams like the Celtics and the Knicks who are probably biting their nails a little bit. The Knicks obviously made a couple of splashy moves in the offseason after getting to the first round of the playoffs. There's been this I don't even know if you want to call it Julius Randle regression, but just kind of like Julius Randle lost in the wilderness. The Kemba thing hasn't worked out. The bench is better than the starters. Bing Bong is dead. And the Celtics are just have turned into like a defensive grinder team who like are are honestly just the most 500 of 500 teams. I feel like every single every other night that they win, they lose. They win, they lose. I I don't feel like they get 
any kind of momentum going one way or the other this season. The Celtics might be the single most annoying team in the league to watch this season. Um, the Celtics are your Sixers? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Except, I guess, like, for me, I don't live and die with the results of their games. Um, so it's a <laughs> little bit... You picked the wrong yeah. company to work for. <laughs> I actually I actually texted Bill after the because I saw that he was at the game. I was like, man, that had to be the single most frustrating game, the Clippers game. Um, and it was like it was a microcosm for what they are. Like, you know, you're gonna have to live and die with Marcus Smart's effort. Um, you know, they didn't have Jalen and Jason Tatum just leaves a lot to be uh desired as a playmaker. Like he's still very much developing that part of his game and they just don't they don't look connected at all. Uh, they've missed Hayward pretty much since they've they've lost him, and they just haven't really made it up yet. Yeah. So when you look at the Eastern Conference, we can stop with with my my ranting here. You see a Nets team that probably isn't playing to their potential at seventeen and eight. You see a Bulls team that is having a rough week with COVID, and they're at seventeen and nine. So they are they still are playing like sort of above their heads, or not even above their heads. Like this is who they are. They're six and four in their last ten. The Bucks are incredible when the big three are on the floor and I think are cruising right now. Eight and two. They lost this week, but they lost their last game, but they're still 16 and 10 and just feel like, to me, it's like until one of those three guys, if they, if they have those three guys, I'm sort of penciling them into the conference finals. The Heat are playing through tr- like a horrendous injury stretch and still look awesome. The Wizards are still loving life (laughs) at 15 and 11. And then you have this group. Now, out of this group, you go down, this takes up to to the 11th seed. I think that, I think that the Hawks are going to be fine. And I think that I've seen enough of the Cavs to believe that this is where they're going to be for the rest of the season. I'm probably most worried about the Sixers and the, and like the long-term attrition of this season if they don't get, um, if they don't get something in return for Simmons soon, it might be a, a written off season. Just because like you're worried about Joel? I just don't think they have the I don't think they have the firepower. I mean, I just think that they're relying too much on role players to be stars in 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 conjunction with Joel. And I think that they have not come up with like a, t- a new tactical wrinkle to accommodate the fact that they don't have their second best player. And they never go small, really. Like they did a little bit against the Jazz, and it was kind of it was kind of interesting for a second where George Niang was like playing center, but for the most yeah, part, yeah, they don't have a lot to go small with. Like the Niang at center, it's just a lot to put on him. Yeah, so they'll like it's just, but you know, Joel goes out, Drummond comes in, it's just lumber, lumber, lumber. They have some interesting little pieces, but none of which should be the the primary like ball handlers or scorers when Embiid's on the off the floor. So, I don't know. I'm I'm worried about the Sixers, the Celtics and the Knicks. Um honestly, I know you're going to get your like real therapy session in at, at some point, but like, you know, this is like it's boring, but it's temporary. And for the most part, like the big picture stuff, it's a good week for the Sixers. Thanks. Thank you. The big picture stuff, meaning the the implosion of the Portland Trailblazers. Yes, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> let's let. Why don't we talk about the Western Conference? Thank you. Great segue. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's start with Denver because I think they're in a similar situation uh, to to the Sixers. Uh, obviously, they don't they don't have a disgruntled superstar, uh, but they are missing their superstar. They they've been missing Jamal Murray. Um, you know, since he since he tore his ACL. 
Uh, and the hope going into this season was that Michael Porter Jr. was going to, you know, be able to eat up the uh, the points and the minutes that that Jamal missed, and the playoffs looked like he was going to look like he was going to be able to do that. He looked he looked he looked healthy uh, in the end of the regular season. In the playoffs, it was clear that something was going on. Uh, he came in the first nine games this season. He's averaging less than 10 points. Like, I think he was shooting sub 40%. Like, he just doesn't look like, you know, the marksman that we're used to with him. He doesn't look comfortable. Um, and then they lose him. Uh, they're still doing okay because Jokic is like, you know, I think it's it's a lot like last season. They ended up losing MPJ and then they lost, lost Dozier too. And, uh, you know, I think... Jokic is just a guy that he, you know, he just kind of redistributes the points that were going to go to somebody else. Like yeah. he's just that good of a passer and a playmaker. Um, and he's not very ball dominant, um, despite the fact that like, you know, he scores a ton of points, but he does everything for this team. Right. And right. at this point, like they have, even without, without Porter Jr., the starters, they have a 15.4 net rating. Hmm. Um, and then it's, once he goes to the bench, it's a disaster. Like last night against the Spurs, um, they made a 22 and nine run uh, in the second quarter when he was on the bench. And that was like pretty much the whole game, right? Like they just never really made it back from that. Right. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's tough, but it's also like kind of a situation like the Sixers where I feel like it's this temporary blip. And while it completely sucks to like lose a prime year of a player as, as transformational as Jokic, who like at this point we know that like if he's in the playoffs with the right guys, like he's going to make a, he's going to make a huge dent um, and they're going to have a chance to win a championship. Losing, losing one of those years, like that's tough. Like yeah. that's really tough. Um, at the same time, I feel like this is one of those 500 teams that their decision-making has could possibly be like really impacted by the new lottery rules because they could kind of do what the Raptors did last year where you kind of shadow continue. tank. Yeah. Shadow like you, tank. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of what you see if you need to, right? Like you can, you can keep going with, with Jokic. Um, you know, like he plays a ton of minutes, but he's generally been pretty sturdy throughout his career. Um, and see, you know, how the Aaron Gordon two-man game progresses. Like, you know, see how much more you can get out of the Will Barton train. And and just, like, you know, try to try to develop um, a little Look, bit more. I, do but, you think that some of these teams that wound up making, like, either making the first round of the playoffs or barely missing the first round of the playoffs or whatever, you think that they aren't looking at Cleveland getting Mobley and being like, that could have been us? Yeah, we're Toronto getting Scotty Barnes. Yeah, right. Right. Like, I think, like, the move now is to basically, like, try to make the playoffs. And you don't really have to make a decision on it until, like, March now at this point. Because, you know, there's no point in now dropping all the way down or trying to, like, really tank. Especially if you're a team that cares about about its culture. And I think Denver does. And I think for small markets, like, I, I think tanking in a situation like this, it can be really precarious. Uh, you don't really have to make a decision to try to stop winning games until like way later in the season now. And now, even if like you only fall to like, you know, 10th or something, you still have a much higher chance at some of like the really good uh, lo like lottery picks later down mm -hmm. the line. Like it's a reverse effect of the fact that like, you know, the number one, n number one to four picks aren't going to be doing as, you know, aren't going to have a higher chance anymore. That means like at 10th, you know, you, you could get the fifth pick. 
Yeah. And, you know, you never, and now that they've sort of paid this core and they know who they are and they know how good they can be when they have all their guys out there, it is more about a matter of patience. You know, it's like if Ben Simmons had just torn his knee or something like that this season, I think the Sixers would be like, well, it's hugely disappointing, but we know who we are and we know how good we are when we have all of our guys out there and we can build around the margins. Now, that might not have been a title winning team, you know, and that, and I don't know if Denver, you know, I don't it, Denver with Murray, I think can go as far as far as they want to go, honestly. Like I, I I really do believe in Jokic that much. Yeah. That's why I think like you kind of wait and see. Like with MPJ, it sounds like they've always been very conservative with him. Um, like the reason they made the pick was like they kind of made a bet, like, you know, we're not gonna get him until like if we we'll get him at 14th because of all these issues, but he's a number one talent, right? And mm-hmm. now they're kind of this is a limbo that they have to be in as a result of that bet, right? And then with Murray, you kind of see, like, they're probably going to take a similar approach with him. They haven't put a timeline on it. But if you hit March and both those guys are fine, then you kind of start thinking, like, all right. But, like, you kind of have to see what, what everything else looks like, too. Right. But, you know, right now, keep rolling. See what happens. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Grand Marnier. Forget the ordinary margarita. It's time you added a little finesse to your cocktail game. Enter Grand Marnier. Inspired by French style and sophistication, Grand Marnier blends smooth cognac with bold orange liqueur. A grand encounter fit for champions. Follow Grand Marnier USA on Instagram to learn more. Drink with style, drink responsibly. Grand Marnier, liqueur, 40% alcohol by volume, copyright 2023, Campari, America, New York, New York. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Well, speaking of uh, seeing what happens, let's talk about these let's talk about these Lakers. Is that who's next? Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's do the Lakers. Um, I'm not... You know what? Let me get what what's your what what's your feeling on the Lakers right now? I'll bounce off of you. I don't know because I feel like I have been conditioned over the years to just be like LeBron will take care of this in the end. Uh I've never seen a team that for stretches or for a game can look world beating the way the Lakers can if Russ is clicking and it's all it's all flying and Davis doesn't have to carry too big of a load or isn't responsible for, you know, the victory or not. 
and then just see them against a John Morant and Dylan Brooksless Grizzlies and just get sunned by Desmond Bain. Like, I don't know who this team is. I don't think they know who it is. I think that the Vogel stuff coming up this early might be the hyperactive imaginations of NBA media, but is like troubling. Um, and I think LeBron's getting up there. And like, this is always going to be something that we would have to contemplate and confront and he would have to confront. But I don't think that you can count on him to just magically win you a game when you're like down eight or neck and neck going into the fourth and then LeBron's just going to figure this out. It's that's not gonna, that's not a guarantee every night. Okay, yeah, that's I'm still utterly confused. That's why I had you start it. I'm glad you said that. I feel like we're kind of on the same page here. I don't know. Um, they're 13 and 13 right now. They have a negative 1.1 net rating. Uh, they have finally Finally changed their rotation. Um, they started last night. They started Davis, Taylor Horton, Tucker, LeBron, Westbrook, and Bradley, which means Davis was playing at the five. Um, and against the Grizzlies, like this is one team where it's not necessarily a great idea because they are like, they're the best offensive rebounding team in the NBA. They actually played themselves out of, uh, out of this, uh, this conversation that we're having because <laughs> they were going to be a 500 team, but they, um, they ended up, you know, they're, they're now 15 and 11 after, after beating the Lakers, but, um, they, yeah. So, you know, that, that game yesterday, um, I was trying to track how everything kind of looked together because it was the first time we actually really like saw what this type of rotation would look like. Um, and right now it's kind of, it's similar to what it was before the season started, which is just like a result of the fact that we haven't really had a lot of LeBron, right? So like they're kind of just starting right now. Like I feel like we kind of have to look and see from here. Like they made the rotational change that they had to make. Um, I think they probably will have to make a few more as the season goes on. Like Vogel's in a tough spot. There's a lot of guys on that team that like, you know, you're not going to be able to play that you're going to have to not play at some point. And you just, you can't do it right now. Right. Like that's just kind of the tough thing. Like with the the guy like Melo, for example, you also don't really necessarily want to. So last night, like the LeBron and the shooters lineup really worked. Like I think him and Melo still have like pretty good chemistry Westbrook and, and and LeBron and Davis together is still kind of a mixed bag. Uh, Westbrook without LeBron is really bad. LeBron minutes generally tend to be pretty good. Uh, this is kind of the same team as, as the one that we saw in like the first five games of the season. But honestly, like with LeBron missing 12 games, like the fact that they're 13 and 13, I'm still not too concerned. I just still like don't have any of my questions answered. And I'm the big <laughs> thing that like, has changed I think is just the fact that like at least in my mind and I you know I think we probably should have all been thinking this in in the offseason too there's just a hell of a lot to put on Taylor Horton Tucker yes um I think like he's one of those players that because you know he has this incredible wingspan and he he's like associated with these like sexy modern things like you know positional versatility which is like the sexiest thing i think of course um you know sw- switchability right like that gets you going um he's still very much hypothetical as like what the lakers need like i think for this to work they need him to be like definitely a, better than a 25 percent shooter from the three-point line um and interior defense for him is just like he's still really figuring it out like he's much better as a one-on-one defender like he still gets lost a lot whether he's on the perimeter or um or in the interior like you know help defense is is very much just something that he's still figuring out and 
that's fine. Like, he's really young. It's just like, man, like, I don't really know that putting him in the starting lineup is, like, going to be the savior to everything. But at the same time, like, it's only December and just see what happens. And then, like, you know, come March, maybe, like, maybe it's just a matter of, like, you stagger Westbrook's minutes as much as you can without, like, bringing him off the bench and not having him right. play with LeBron. You do have to figure out crunch time, though. Still have a lot of questions, basically. But, yeah, I mean, like, I really feel like it kind of comes down to the LeBron thing. Like, I'm I'm not... I don't think I would be hedging this much on this team if LeBron wasn't. You would be like, it. this is an emergency if it weren't for, like, the LeBron legacy in history, which is, says a lot about how we have all kind of collectively started to think about Anthony Davis. Because I think that the idea here was going to be, well, they have Anthony Davis mm -hmm. and the Anthony Davis and five guys off the street, you know, should be enough to get 500 in the NBA or something. And it's obviously not, you know, and I don't know. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, his shooting number mm -hmm. one, maybe, maybe the way he's changed his body over the years to probably guard against other injuries. But man, like... The THT thing, too, is THT is going to find himself in a lot of trade rumors in the next couple of weeks, especially if this keeps going sideways for them. So I don't know how that's going to affect his... He's a young guy. I don't know how that's going to affect it when it's like THT for Jeremy Grant. You know, like, I don't know how that's going to impact things. Yeah, I think, like, with him, it's just really important to remember that, you know, as of, like, I think four years ago, he was playing guard, you know? Like, he was right. <laughs> he was not at all a perimeter player. Um with Davis, the shooting is just I I'm I I don't really get it. Um, it's just it's just falling off a cliff. Uh, he improved in the bubble season. He was like you know he had that incredible shot over Denver. It felt like he turned a corner as a spacer. Um, and it's just it regressed month by month basically last year. And this season he's a nineteen percent three point shooter, uh, which is not great when you have Westbrook on your team. Cause now you have two guys shooting jump shots that really right now just aren't making any of them on a team that is already lacking so much spacing in, in the first place. So like the, the timing of his, of this shooting issue is just, that's, that's a tough one for the Lakers. You know, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, I don't, that's just that's just a tough situation. Um, and Davis in general, like I think the Grizzlies game last night was a good example. But I think like in general, when you look you look across the West, like he really dominated in the bubble. Um, mm -hmm. In a way that I'm not really sure is going to be who, replicated. If, if, now, if that's right? who he was, if yeah, that's who right. he was, and I think it's still fair to assume that like you know when a guy does that in the playoffs. I think like you give him the benefit of the doubt and you say that he will be able to, you know, be a dominant force once again. But the West now also like, you know, Aiton emerged last year um, and ha really held his own. And like, you know, honestly, like AD was hurt, but outplayed AD, AD um, in the first round last year. Uh, you got Jokic. You had last night where, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's having like just an awesome, uh, awesome season, like or the awesome, like last, like, like, he's really the reason that, that they've been able to score it all without Ja. Um, he's not scared of AD. Like, he he's barreling into him, you know? And he he's, like, he's got the size. And, you know, he's kind of got the quickness. And you've just... There are just more guys in the league that I think can hang with him in, 20, in like, the 2022 playoffs than there would be in the 2020 bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Who else do you have in this in this gang of five hundred in the West? 
Uh, we've got. Well, let's let's let's. We can go to the Clippers. We'll quick. We'll quickly do the Clippers. Yeah, um, across the hallway at Staples. Exactly. Exactly. AKA the Crypt. AKA Crypto.com. <laughs> read it. Yeah. Exactly. Yo. Uh, yo. Uh, I think it was Yovan Buha, the Athletic. He posted. Uh, he he posted a picture of the Staples sign being ta- taken off the Staples Center. It was very eerie. Um, yeah, things- hard day for office supply fans. You know, it was a, <laughs> it was really a move a moving scene. Great day for Dunder Mifflin, though. Um, the Clippers, they uh, they're they're in a weird spot this season. Um, it's similar to Denver, where they're just like they're waiting on Kawhi, and I think that like when you're contending and like you just you have. You know, with with the Nuggets, it's it's Jokic, right? And with the Clippers, it's PG. Like when you have a guy like that on your team, like you just you can't punt the season. And I think that like you also, you know, I think you run some risk in terms of like ruining a winning culture as well. Um, you got a coach like Ty Lue, who also I think like likes to get creative. Uh, but they're they're really good. Um, they have now. Just gonna check this, see if it's updated. Yeah. Okay. So they're still the fourth best defense in the NBA, uh, which to me is like probably the most impressive thing and the thing that would have surprised me the most uh, about them coming into the season. Not that they haven't always been a a great defensive team, but just like you would think without Kawhi, uh, there would be a little bit of a drop off and just that like they don't have like the elite of the elite defensive personnel, but they have a lot of like they have they have PG. Um, He's been great. And like, you know, they can go to Morris at the five uh, and they have a lot of guys, they just try, you know, like it sounds so cliche, but they, they kind of just try really hard on defense and, you know, and then you got like Paul George is having like a really grimy season and, you know, just, just gutting out some wins, like, you know, squeezing out some offense. Like they, they go, they play in transition a lot more this season. He's creating more threes. He's shooting less threes. Um, I have to assume we're not going to see Kawhi this season, but it does give me, um, I have some, I don't have questions necessarily about how Kawhi and PG are going to fit together, but the fact that they're this good kind of lends more fuel to the idea that they don't fit together that well. Uh, Charks mm-hmm. wrote about this a couple weeks ago. Um, and they're, ba- it's, it's a lot of it is like, they like to play in the same positions and, you know, I, th- I think, like, when Kawhi's back, I think it's a good idea for them to just start tinkering with a couple of different ideas because, like, they kind of have a similar issue as the Celtics. They have a lot of talent, but, you know, Jalen and Jason kind of are similar players. Uh, Paul's a better playmaker than any of, like, he's probably the best player playmaker among those four. And, like, yeah. he's really improved this season, which I think you can take as one of the silver linings of of Kawhi not being not, not being able to, to play. But um, in general, it's like, you have like they do have a problem to solve, and I think that they might f- lend themselves like a couple ways to to solve it because of some of the things that are happening this season. Whether it's like PG's playmaking, just seeing how much more effective he is like within the rim. Um, you know, maybe it's just like one of those guys plays more of the five, um, and they go like a five four like super small lineup with those guys. Um, I think that would be really fun to see down the line. Um, or like, you know, just like more, more high low stuff. I don't know. Like whatever it's gonna be for them, like it's it's tough. Like we've seen how tough it is to make those fit when you don't have playmaking. Uh, but you know, if you're the Clippers, it's just like this is kind of a strange lost season, but like you gotta be 
you got to be okay with how it's going, I guess. I think that this is a really good example of to compare the, the Clippers to the Sixers. You lose lose a, a key player. Kawhi obviously is a little is a, probably more important league wide, I guess, or like the perception of Kawhi is league wide more. He's obviously a, a better player than Ben Simmons. I think the Clippers should be really happy with where they are. You know what I mean? And I think the Clippers are seeing a lot of great things out of Paul George. You're seeing kind of a renaissance for him, and I think that like. Partially, this comes down to a little bit of aesthetics. It's like, I like watching the Clippers play. I like watching Ty Lue draw stuff up, and I like watching the ball move with them. And that's like kind of the opposite experience I have with the Sixers. Now, if I was a lifelong Clippers fan, I might be a little frustrated, I guess. But mm-hmm. this is, they're doing the best that they can with the what Reggie they've The Reggie Jackson experience, if you were like emotionally attached to it, it might exactly. be a little bit more difficult. Or like the I, I can experience. take or leave it. By the as way, like, give Brad and a... Boston all his minutes. Like oh all my God. of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... What do you think? So what's what's the last thing we got here for you? Uh, we've got the Mavericks last. Um, oh, we're gonna go doom and gloom here. We're gonna go oh, a good. little bit doom and gloom here. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting major Portland Trailblazers vibes from this team. Mm. Yeah, like like this is gonna be they're, they're stuck in neutral as this team. Yeah, like so. I went through their. Uh, They've never really drafted well, so I decided to go through like their draft history. Um, they've had, outside of Luca, they have really not hit on very many things at all. Um, since, since the championship, uh, pretty much like the only picks that they've hit on uh, are Luca, uh, Jay Crowder in, in, in 2012, in 2012. Uh, and Jalen Brunson in in the second round. Uh, I think that was that was the year before Luca. I think, uh, but they've they've just they've had a lot of misses, uh, and that's just like that's it's really bad for ten years. Like that's three guys in ten years, and I'm not exaggerating. Like they had they had the rights to to Rudy Fernandez, uh, became Demetrius Jackson, which was part of the Rondo trade, uh, which was disastrous. And they tried to get in on like the disgruntled superstar market, but they kind of picked the worst guy in, in Kristaps mm-hmm. to, to do that with. Uh, they gave away a few first round picks, which like, I mean, that trade, like looking back at it, it's kind of a wash. Except, like the first round picks don't really matter because they weren't going to draft well anyways. Um, they, yeah, like they're just they just don't make a lot of good decisions, and I feel like maybe we've just been not paying enough attention to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they're and they're they're doing this thing that the Blazers did with with Lillard, like all these years, where like they take they they sign a role player and they put like well, they, they they first of all they blow free agency. So like the Mavs, the Mavs had a ton of cap space this year, um, and they didn't get anybody right. Uh, and if you look at like, I think I think if you're a Mavs fan, like fa- fan, like you're probably looking at the Bulls season, being like, oh, cool, like yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's ex- that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, and especially especially since you're the Mavs, like you already have like Luca, you already have the guy that you need. So like you know the the, the Bulls probably have a like a lower ceiling overall because they don't have a player like Luca, right? Um, and it's just like, why you know like you get Reggie Bullock who is a great player. You know, he's a great role player. And then you try to sell the fan base on this idea that he is more than what he is. Right. And now he's struggling coming out of the gate. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. is struggling coming out of the gate. They will improve their shooting. Like, you know, this, the place that they're in right now, like, they're a little bit better than that, right? Like, 
they're just they're they're really stagnant and they aren't hitting a lot of their shots um but you know more than anything else i think like the big picture is like the concern with this franchise and the other thing man like you know actually let's stay on that but i have i have i have a luca thing but yeah, like just the long-term thing of this uh like trajectory of this franchise like outside of luca just not a lot of great decisions i don't i don't even know what whether or not the coaching decision is in that category uh, for a variety of reasons but like i don't know whether or not like it's uh, it's almost like i don't even know why they changed coaches do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like they've uh, did you see their playstyle change much in in the from the carlisle to kid transition i think they definitely have less movement um but honestly like that is one of the things I had in my notes is like, this team is just not appreciably that different from last year's team. Mm -hmm. And why would it be like, why, why are you like acting like Reggie Bullock is going to change the, 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 the fate of your team in the playoffs? Like that's, that's not Reggie's fault. That's like, that's just like, that's them. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just tough, man. And like, you're watching the game last night. Um, or what, what was the game? Which, which game was it? Um, after the Nets game, after the Nets game, uh, which, you know, so Luca, Luca after the game was asked about his weight. Um, and like, he looked so sad. Yeah. He looked so sad, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think that was, that was my biggest takeaway from that was like, not really like his weight. Cause like, honestly, he's, you know, I, yes, he could probably like have better conditioning most seasons, but like, you know, like he said, like he was, like he said, like when he was asked about it, like he played in the Olympics this year, he got three weeks off and like, yeah, he's not like necessarily in the best shape. Um, and he like, he was kind of was, like, he was a little bit passive aggressive about it. He was like, yeah, I guess I, you know, I got to rest for like three weeks. You know, maybe I relaxed too much, uh, to which I say like, honestly, Luca, like just don't become a victim of burnout culture. Um, especially you, like, you're just so happy when you play, um, like the whole, th you know, I, I, I feel like everything in Dallas, like relies on that guy having a smile on his face. Um, and he just doesn't right hmm. now. So yeah, things aren't looking great there. So you, th so this is interesting. So if you are looking at tea leaves, if you're looking and, and you're like the crystal ball, like of your group of 500, who do you feel like shakes off the cobwebs? and gets better and who do you feel like is is who they who they are uh, you know i think it's tough because most of the teams in the west are kind of stuck in neutral right like the clippers i assume it's just because it's Kawhi. like you kind of have to think he's not going to be back this season i think they're kind of what they are i think the mavericks are going to get a little bit better than what they are but they're kind of essentially you know, it's it's Luca and a bunch of guys that aren't really number twos. Yes. Um, Kate, I guess Kristaps is probably like the biggest X factor within that. Like, I think he's had games this season where he's just been a lot more like motivated than he's ever really looked before. So possibly something you know can can happen there. That's probably like their biggest point of upside. But the Lakers are really the one where it's like, you got to see what happens, but they have the highest ceiling out of all these teams that we've For mentioned. Sure. But it's because sure. like, they shouldn't be in this conversation, right? Like they should be in the other conversation that we might have like a different day about like the Jazz and the Suns and the Warriors. Like the, the sheer fact that they're here is kind of the issue for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's, it's LeBron. They'll probably end up in that end of the conversation. I don't know that they're like a Warriors Suns team, but you know, like this, I, I feel like all the, the teams that, they're not, it's not a lot like, it's not really like the East. Um, 
which I guess I'll pitch that question over to you because I think there's a lot more room for growth slash regression with, with the teams that you had. So who do I think has the most... Say that, say that question again. Basically, like, who do, who do you think um, pro- has, like, the best chance of breaking out of this uh, in the gang West? of 500? In the East. In, oh, in, in, the, the, East. in the East? I think in the West, it's, it's got to be the Lakers. Um, in the East, I guess... I, I honestly think it's the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Like, I just feel like they're young, they're athletic, they have guys all over the place. By the way, we, we didn't do... We were going we to start making a, a segment out of best uh, single game plus minus of the week. I think it may, might be hard to top Gallo on any given night because it's always 20 points with a minus one plus minus. Um, but yeah, I, I, have a, I feel like the Hawks have the most potential to kind of get out from under... The, the mediocrity and they're they're obviously trending in the right direction. Yeah, I'd say that that's that, that's that's probably fair. Um, unless there's a Sixers trade, and you know, unless they trade Simmons for Luca, and then um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe Luca will start smiling. Yeah. Which of okay, last thing before you go, uh, which of these teams do you think is asking them some very asking themselves some like very serious questions about Kemba Walker and uh, and John Wall? Oh, about like as like a trade mm-hmm. chip. <sighs> That's a great question. In the East or just in general? You can go East. I'll start. Um, I'll, I'll say the Clippers. Um, you know, just because of the playmaking you think that, issues that we yeah. talked about. But then that also then suggests that, like, the Celtics might want to get in on the... May, maybe John Wall. Maybe welcome... Uh, you know, try try the Kemba thing again. Um, I, they, they, love, they love letting go of guys and then bringing them back. Um, and them not being as effective. So, you know, that could possibly be a thing. I mean, Kemba's not... The, the problem with those two guys is that Wall is this huge contract and Kemba's relatively affordable, but it looks like his game is shot. I I think if if the Cavs were like, let's build on good feeling here and we've lost Sexton to the year, like maybe they take a shot at, at Kemba. Um, but I don't know. If I'm the Cavaliers, I don't mess with my chemistry until it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, you also, I mean, while we're here, it's, it, this is all fun and dandy, but like, you know, if you're the Cavs, like you don't really need to be out here winning more games than you're supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's the point? Exactly. Um, why don't we wrap it up there? Uh, next week, we have one more show before the end of the year. We have one on the 17th, and then we'll be taking a couple of weeks off because the, the Fridays happen to fall right on the, uh, right, right on the, the holidays this year. Sierra, thank you so much for joining me today. You're, you're never 500 in my book. Thank you so much. Well, if I was if I was if I was in any gang, a gang of seven hundred, a gang of six hundred, even a gang of three hundred, you know, I'd like to be in that gang with you. Okay. Thank you. Bye.